This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. We're back. We're back and we forgot how to do anything. (laughs) Okay, here's the deal. It doesn't really matter because I am officially putting in my two-week notice. Everybody... I am moving to North Dakota. (laughs) Said no one ever until this day. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's clean. The people are nice. There's an apple. It doesn't even have Mount Rushmore. (laughs) (laughs) Which we did confirm. Did confirm. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Ogab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. All right. We're back, Mogab. We are back. You heard our... Barely made it back, but she's back. She lost an an AirPod, but she (laughs) made it back. (laughs) I lost my AirPod, my dignity, and the feeling in my toes from wearing heels. Well, that's what you get. You know, I refuse. I went to the I went to the Miss Texas pageant and I was like, can I get away with wearing flip-flops with this dress? That was an actual that that was my plan. Okay. Okay, the answer is no. Well, the answer is yes, actually, and I totally would have done it. <laughs> but at the last minute, I decided to change into a different dress where I could wear wedges. So wedges happen. Wedges are fun. I was a bridesmaid, though. You have to wear heels with your dress. <sighs> Kill it. That it, uh, kills. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Kill. But did you at least not bring little flippy flops to put in your bag to wear no, during I the do, reception? Normally I do, and I didn't. So your girl was a barefoot bridesmaid, the best kind, honestly. Well, um, I'm so glad to be back here with you. We took a nice little break, little five week five week break or so. It was wonderful. Oh, it was fantastic. But now we're back. We just did a mini creep all about what we did on our summer vacation. So if you would like to know how we spent our break. That is available over there on the Patreon. Yeah. I gave you a little teaser. I gave you a little teaser about about North Dakota. What's the Patreon, you ask? Oh. Oh, I did. (laughs) I did ask that. That is a place where you can go and get bonus content. We have several different levels. You can go over there. You can read all about the different levels. 
and sign up if you feel like you want more of this amazing yeah, content. and you definitely do. And thank you to the people that signed up because they missed us so much over our break. You yes. are the real ones. We love you. And we're glad to be back. Back and well-rested because you know what? What? Your girl was feeling some type of way when she came back. Uh-huh. Weddings, conventions, back-to-back. The only way I survived was, you guessed it, my travel packs of athletic greens, which were packed in my bag and consumed throughout the duration of the summer break. Oh. That's why I'm standing here today. Thank you very much. Athletic Greens is a supplement that you can add to your water, and with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things. So true about the recovery, because I am telling you... It is why I survived. I was looking for a way to not feel, I just feel so like dehydrated after travel and I just feel gross and you're Mm -hmm. eating stuff in the airports and I'm downing the Starbucks. Like it's just not a good scene. So this is a great way to make a change at home. If you're on the go, the travel packs are amazing. Russell, in fact, has been sneaking them into his suitcase. So we had to get our own canisters. Now we have two and we're both using it. So... Highly endorsed. (laughs) They contain less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership of your health and pick up your daily nutritional insurance. Again, it's not a code. It's a specific link. So athleticgreens.com slash emerging. That's athleticgreens.com slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. All right. Okay. Are you ready for this story? You know, I do, I do feel like my sleep habits have improved the less I'm spending time with you. Well, get ready to take those anti-anxiety meds tonight. (laughs) Turn on the nightlight. Okay, great. Turn on that nightlight. Crack that door because we've got a kidnapping story today. (gasps) No. And it is quite the story. I'm going to save the the main source for the end because otherwise it'll give it all away. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. 
Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. It was 1.54 p.m. on March 23rd, 2015, when the 911 call came into the Vallejo, California dispatch. It was 29-year-old Aaron Quinn, and he tells dispatchers that his girlfriend, Denise Huskins, has been kidnapped from his home in the middle of the night. What? Yes. Officers Garcia and Coelho, I think, responded to the call and arrived at Aaron's home on Mare Island, which is like a small little island that's part of the city of Vallejo in the Bay Area. It's actually a peninsula. It used to be a naval base, but they started turning it into a residential area. And by this time, it was just a peaceful little neighborhood. Aaron had bought the house in 2012, fully expecting that this would be the house that he'd get married in, raise his kids in, not the house his girlfriend would be kidnapped from. When they arrived at Aaron's house, they could tell he seemed out of it, and they asked him if he'd taken anything, if he was on any drugs. He told them that the kidnappers had drugged him, which is also why it had taken him so long to call 911. Remember, the call hadn't come in until almost 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He told them that the kidnappers had woken them up in the middle of the night, tied them up, and then took Denise into the trunk of his car and left. Garcia noticed stacks of empty beer bottles by the garbage, and he asked Aaron if he'd had a party or something. Aaron explained that he puts them there so he can take them all out to the recycling all at once, but Officer Garcia doesn't seem sold on this story. He also thinks it's weird that there's two glasses by the sink and a third glass on the coffee table like Aaron was lying about a third person being there, but Aaron insisted it was just a water glass. Aaron was getting really frustrated that these officers didn't seem to have any sense of urgency. After Garcia finished searching the house, he asked Aaron about his relationship with Denise, 
and Aaron admitted that they'd been struggling in their relationship. They'd met at work the year before in 2014. Denise was doing a very prestigious physical therapy residency, and Aaron was a physical therapist in the same department. He knew he liked her right away, and he told her that he was interested in spending time with her, getting to know her, but the timing was so bad. Aaron had recently discovered that his longtime live-in fiance, who we will call Mm. Jennifer, someone he fully expected to marry and have kids with, had been cheating on him for two years. Oh, God. (laughs) Russell. (laughs) He was really conflicted about Jennifer, and he was also grappling with trust issues due to her long-term infidelity. It didn't help that he had to see her every day because she worked with them too. Okay, you do not, you do not get all up in that. (laughs) But he decided he wanted to give it a go with Denise, and they had been dating for about seven months when Denise started suspecting that there were still lingering feelings on Aaron's part. And she found messages on his phone to Jennifer telling her that he wanted to try and work things out. Wait, I got mixed up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Jennifer was the cheater. Jennifer was the cheater. Denise was the one that was kidnapped. But she, New girlfriend. oh, Denise thinks there's still feelings between the Aaron Sauce Aaron and Jennifer. Jennifer. Yes. Even though she's a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Even though okay. Jennifer is a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Correct. And it turned out it was true. She had found messages on his phone to Jennifer telling her that he wanted to try to work things out. In February of 2015, Denise had confronted him about it, told him that she didn't deserve this. And Aaron realized he needed help working through this breakup. He got into therapy, and his therapist helped him work up the strength to tell Jennifer to get the rest of her stuff out of his garage. Everything you own in a box to the left, (laughs) specifically in the garage. Right. Aaron was finally ready to move on from that relationship and focus his attention on building this new relationship with Denise. But he knew he'd have to regain her trust, and he was really worried that that might never happen. They hadn't seen each other for the entire week before the kidnapping, but that night, March 22nd, 2015, this is just like a month after Denise confronted him about those text messages, or maybe just a couple of weeks. March 22nd, 2015, Denise had planned to come over and just see what Aaron had to say to see if this was something they'd be able to work through or not. She brought over a pizza, and they sat on the couch, and they just talked. She brought the pizza? No. She brought a pizza. She brought over a pizza. This pizza party should have been thrown and planned by him. (laughs) I agree, but I don't think that it was one of those things where he, like, wasn't willing to put in any effort. I think, like, he was kind of letting She brought the pizza, so she had something to do with her hands. He was letting her kind of take the lead on this because he – yeah, exactly. Denise told him that this wasn't going to be easy. Rebuilding trust is really difficult. But she said that if he was willing to put in that work, they could try again. She poisoned that pizza. (laughs) No, she didn't. It had turned into this a really good night, a turning point in their relationship. And then she was kidnapped. Now she was gone. Aaron wasn't sure how Garcia was going to take this whole story. He could see him using it as a motive for him to hurt Denise somehow. But he thought there was so much evidence at the house that showed that he was telling the truth. They wanted to question Aaron further, so they brought him into the station, and two detectives came in. And this is where Aaron is really able to tell the entire story of what happened the night before. 
And it turns out to be the strangest story these detectives had ever heard. I'm ready. Some would call it unbelievable. (gasps) I thought so. Aaron said it was around 3 a.m. when he and Denise woke up to a noise. At first, Aaron thought it was just the neighborhood raccoon, Fat Charlie. He knocked. <gasps> what? I only <laughs> left that detail in for you. <laughs> Send me a picture of Fat Charlie right now. <laughs> I will not continue. <laughs> I don't have a picture of Fat Charlie, but he would knock over the garbage cans and such pretty frequently in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh my god! I can't wait to call Burke's Fat Charlie something. What a good name! Ah, oh, fantastic! What a good little, what a good boy. <laughs> Do we know how to tell if raccoons are male or female? Do we know the difference? Genitals. No, I know, but I mean, like, have you, ha- do you know what it looks like? I think you got to pick it up. Look under the hood. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that it was not Fat Charlie. <laughs> and Aaron was quickly jerked out of his sleep by a voice saying, wake up. This is mm. a robbery. There That's were white cool. flashing lights and red laser dots across the wall. The voice said they were not there to hurt them. This was all financial and told them to lie face down on the bed. The voice spoke like a robot to make it unidentifiable, which made the whole thing even more terrifying. The voice said they were going to leave zip ties on the end of the bed and that Denise was to tie Aaron's hands behind his back and his feet together. They did their best to comply with the demands without looking at them, hoping that if they didn't see their faces, they wouldn't have a reason to kill them. Hmm. Once they were tied, they were then blindfolded with a pair of goggles that had black tape over the lenses and then taken into the closet. Aaron didn't know how many men there were, but he thought it was about three or four. One of the men put headphones over his and Denise's ears that played several pre-recorded messages throughout this whole ordeal. The first one said, stay calm. We are not here to hurt you. This is not your fault. We are here purely for financial reasons. This will be over soon. How like eerie. I know. Like even if you say that, why like the it's need for the pre-recording? Right. And like how planned I guess just so they don't hear them that you have a pre-recorded message like yeah, you know. The message repeated several times and then said that a medical professional would be in to check their vitals and give them a sedative, which ended what? up being a mixture of NyQuil and diazepam. Mhm. They were given the sedative, and before it could take effect, the recording said that they would ask them a series of questions about their bank accounts, passwords, personal information about each other. Aaron and Denise waited and waited, feeling like an eternity was passing them by, but no one ever came to ask them any questions. Eventually, the man returned, but he didn't ask them questions. Instead, he told Denise that he was taking her into the router room. Aaron kept the router in the spare bedroom, and it really creeped them out that he must know where he kept the router. Like he must have been in the house before. Like he'd possibly been in there scoping it out. Also, like aren't routers really small? Is that the only thing in the room? It's like in the guest room, like the routers in the guest room. Right. But I just like, I don't know. Like why would he call it the router room instead of the guest room? Right. Routers like. I guess because he was going in there for the router and not, I don't know, to like hack into the Wi-Fi. I don't know. (laughs) After Denise was taken, the pre-recorded message on the headphones started playing again, this time with threats. 
It said that if Aaron didn't tell the truth, his partner would be punished with electric shock and cuts to the face. Mm. But if they told, but if they did tell the truth, they'd be allowed to stay together in the same room. Aaron was horrified. He was worried about Denise. He's also wondering why the recording was not matching what was happening because it said that they'd be allowed to stay together, but they'd already been separated. This reminds me of the dollhouse scene of Pretty Little Liars. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Freaks me out. There was obviously a script that these guys were using, and they were going off the script, and Aaron had no idea if that was going to turn out to be a good thing or a bad thing. I didn't think about how creepy it would be if the pre-recorded messages aren't matching what's happening. Like, yeah, that would almost be more terrifying than just not hearing anything. Right, because you know I, mean? I would, I would, I would be thinking like, first of all, I'd be terrified. I probably wouldn't be thinking anything. But if yeah. I possibly had a clear mind, I would be thinking, okay, these guys are very clearly like they know exactly what they're doing. They're here for a reason. They just want money, and they said they're not going to hurt us. But they have these pre-recorded messages that clearly say we're not going to hurt you. We just want your money. Mm-hmm. Like that's all they want. So if I just give them what they want, they're not going to hurt me. But mm-hmm. oh, now what they're doing not- is not matching the recording. Right. So what's going to happen? Wrong. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When the recording stopped, the man came back and removed Aaron's headphones and started asking for his passwords. Aaron gave them the passwords for his laptop and Wi-Fi, his banking credit card accounts, email accounts, even his social security number, just praying if he gave them enough information, he and Denise wouldn't be hurt. I'm like, uh, I need to go pull up my like notebook that has all that written in it. <laughs> right. The man left after he got all this information, but then quickly came back to tell him that there's been a big mistake. This whole thing was intended for Aaron and his ex-fiance, Jennifer. They'd broken up, and until very recently, she had lived in that house. Jennifer yeah. and Denise even looked alike. They both had long blonde hair. The man seemed to be talking to another member of the group, trying to figure out what to do. Aaron can't see anything. He's still got the goggles on, but he's listening very carefully. Finally, the man comes back and tells him that they're going to take Denise for 48 hours and that Aaron will have to complete some tasks to get her back. The headphones are placed back over Aaron's ears and another pre-recorded message started playing. It told Aaron that this is all happening to him because they are a black market group hired to retrieve payments for personal and financial debts. It said not to attempt to go to the police because they would be watching him and his family. And it gave several examples of other people who had tried to go against their demands in the past and failed. The message told Aaron that he would be moved downstairs to the living room and that a camera had been installed to monitor his movements. It said that the cameras were highly sophisticated and could work at very high temperatures. It said that there would be markings all over the house and that he was to stay inside the markings because that's where the cameras could see. If he didn't follow instructions, the recording said that they would hurt Jennifer. It creeped Aaron out that the recordings had used Jennifer's name, his ex-fiance, used her name. It wasn't just some generic message that could be used again and again. This was personal somehow and specific to them. But they obviously – it's not Jennifer. So like right. it's like they know enough, but they're also like out of the loop. Right. And they're quite out of the loop because Aaron and Denise had been together like seven months or so. Yeah. He had never referred her to her as his girlfriend until he made that 911 call and said, 
my girlfriend has been kidnapped. That was the first time he'd used the word girlfriend to describe her. Uh, how but romantic. Right. But they've been dating seven months. And so Jennifer still had, I guess, some boxes at his house. He, she hadn't moved all her stuff out, but she hadn't been living there for several months at least. Hmm. So it's like, how long have you been planning this? Right. The message ended, and he heard the man tell Denise that she'd be placed in the trunk of the car. He heard her say, okay, and Aaron was now hoping that that wouldn't be the last thing he ever heard her say. This is definitely not okay. Right. They left with Denise, but soon the man was back. He told Aaron that in the morning, he would need to call in sick to work and then use Denise's phone to text her manager that she'd had a family emergency and would be out for the week. He'd then need to go to the bank and get out money to get Denise back. He was leaving a cell phone charger on the counter that Aaron needed to take with him when he went to the bank to make sure his phone didn't die because he needed to be reachable at all times. He duct taped Aaron's feet together and Aaron was shivering because it was so cold in the house. And so he asked the man for a blanket and the man said, sorry, I didn't realize how cold it is. We're all wearing wetsuits. Uh. Okay, I have several questions. <laughs> yeah. So they duct taped his feet together, but they mm-hmm. had, but he was gonna have to do these like tasks. Okay, so that's one <laughs> question mark. <laughs> Two. Yeah. Why is it so cold? And why is everyone in wetsuits? <laughs> Are the wetsuits wet? I think that he probably duct taped Aaron's feet together so that Aaron couldn't just like jump in another car and follow them or something to get Denise. But didn't they tell Aaron just then? What did they tell him about the charger and all that? That he was going to have to go to the bank and he'd have to bring the phone charger with him. How's he supposed to go to the bank with his feet? Well, he can take off the duct tape, you know, but it'll take him a little bit is what I'm guessing. I don't know why else they would duct tape his feet. Yeah, that's weird. And they're all wearing wetsuits, again, I guess, to keep from leaving any trace evidence in the house. They're not going to drop skin cells or hair or anything if they're in a wetsuit. You know, but it's a weird. Sometimes detail. I hate this because I feel like we give people ideas. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh, a wetsuit sure. wouldn't leave any of that. You know, <laughs> and you're not going to raise any eyebrows buying a wetsuit. You know, right? Soon after, the man left, leaving Aaron alone. He used the armrest of the couch to like push the goggles off his face, and he was just really struggling to stay awake because of the drugs in his system. The sedative was that would be the scariest part to me. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being like, know that you're gonna b- pass out and you're not gonna know what's happening, and you, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, you can't help it. He saw that it was five in the morning, and the next thing he knew, he was waking up to his phone's alarm going off at seven a.m. He did what the man asked him to do. He called in sick to work. And then he got Denise's phone to text her manager about the made-up family emergency. And after that, the sedative overcame him again, and he fell back asleep. By the time he woke up, he was still groggy from the sedative, and it was 11.30 a.m., and he was terrified of what the kidnappers would do to Denise if he didn't do exactly what they said. They started texting him demands, telling him to get a cash advance on his card. They said a cash advance of $17,000 split between two different credit cards would do the trick, and it would avoid the $10,000 federal reporting limit. So it would only be like $8,500. Mm-hmm. They told him to tell the bank that the money was for a ski boat. But the most Chase would give him for a cash advance was $3,500. And that wasn't enough. Ski boat. Ski boat. He had no idea what to do. 
But he did happen to have an older brother in the FBI. (gasps) What? Yes. These people did not do their research. His name was Ethan, and Aaron had been scared to contact him, scared the kidnappers would know what he was doing, but he didn't know what else to do. When he was able to get Ethan on the phone, he told Aaron that the best thing that he could do was to call 911. Aaron told Ethan he couldn't do that. They said they'd kill Denise if he called 911. And Ethan said that's what they all say. But he needed to get authorities involved as soon as possible. He said he would be there as soon as he could, but that Aaron needed to hang up the phone and call 911. So at 1.54 that afternoon, that's what he'd done. When Aaron finished telling detectives this wild story, a lab tech came in to collect blood and DNA samples. They took pictures of his arms, his hands, his ankles. They collected his clothing. They gave him a prison jumpsuit to change into since they'd taken all of his clothes down to his underwear. (laughs) A detective named Matt Mustard came in to question (gasps) him. And I know what you're thinking, that that is the biggest stretch in this whole story. But his name is actually Detective Mustard. I love it. Wish it was Colonel, but I'll take it. (laughs) So Detective Mustard comes in to question him. And this is after Aaron had already been questioned by the other detectives for several hours. Mustard asks him to take him through it again. And so again, he goes through the voice waking them up. They're wearing wetsuits, the strange pre-recorded messages. But Mustard doesn't seem interested in the crime. He wanted to talk about the issues in Aaron and Denise's relationship. Aaron was very cooperative. He went into all the details of their relationship again, the tension about his breakup with Jennifer, Denise finding the text messages to her, all of it. And after he'd been talking for almost an hour, Mustard told him that his story is very elaborate and in some ways very far-fetched. Too elaborate. Too elaborate. That's how you can tell when someone's lying, when they give too much detail. He told him he's not buying his story for one second. He doesn't believe some guy in a wetsuit came to his house and took Denise. He tells him that it didn't happen, period. Mustard reminded Aaron that he lives on Mare Island, which used to be a military base, meaning there are cameras covering practically every inch of the island. Mustard tells him that they're going to be able to track everyone that came on and off the island, and they'd be able to track him. Mustard said he doesn't think Denise was kidnapped from his home. He thinks something terrible happened at his house between him and Denise, and this was all to cover it up. Officers at the scene had noticed that the hall smelled clean, like the carpets had recently been vacuumed. The comforter was missing from the bed, and there was a small amount of blood found on the sheets, like a few drops. Aaron's car was missing, and he had waited a suspiciously long amount of time to call police. This looked a lot like a case of domestic violence, and that was a much simpler explanation than this ridiculous story Aaron was giving about men in wetsuits with pre-recorded messages. Yeah, Yeah. Why would these unknown men go to all these elaborate lengths, take such an enormous risk, and then ask for such a small amount of money, like $17,000 is all they were asking for? You just rob a bank in their wetsuits. (laughs) Right. That's always my go-to, you know? Rob a bank? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just do that and not hurt anybody? (laughs) Yeah. Aaron knew how it looked. He knew this sounded bizarre and he was frustrated, but he was also scared. He wasn't supposed to go to the police. The kidnappers had told him that they'd hurt Denise if he did. 
And now it sounded like the police weren't going to work to find her either because they didn't even believe she'd been taken. Mustard told him that there had been no other additional communication to Aaron about a ransom on his phone because they had taken his phone. No one had tried to reach out to him. Where Mustard sees this as supporting Aaron lying, Aaron sees this as a sign that the kidnappers know he went to police and that Denise is in danger. Yeah. Did he ever say like, hey, my brother's in the FBI and he knows about this too? I feel like I'd pull the FBI card. I don't think he did. I don't think he pulled that to detectives. The FBI does get involved later and it doesn't really seem like it made a difference at all that his brother, he must be kind of a lower level FBI agent. I don't know. Or I'm sure no matter like how high you are, you can't just, uh, huh? I said, sorry, Ethan. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I you just weren't like important probably... enough to get to get anybody on Aaron's side. Yeah. I also just feel like maybe you can't be involved if it's like your family. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Detective Mustard gave several scenarios to Aaron. Maybe he and Denise got in a fight and he pushed her down the stairs. Maybe they were into weird sex stuff that got out of hand. <laughs> Why is that always? <laughs> weird. It happens. God. Maybe they were experimenting with drugs. And at this point in the interrogation, like Aaron has been like leaning forward. He's been participating. He's been like, mm-hmm. you know, cooperating, answering all these questions. And at this point, when Detective Mustard starts giving these scenarios, you just see his entire body deflate. Like he's not getting defensive. You know, he's he not just like, knows. Not, he's, he's like, just, they're not going to help me. Exactly. Like, exact. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. help me. This is, you're not going to help me. This is over. No, I'm stuck here and I can't like, yeah. Do anything. You can't just be like, you know what? I changed my mind coming here to talk to you about this. I'm going to go now. You know, like. Exactly. Because now you can't, they like, know undo Denise it. is missing. Yeah. And, and now they think he's a murder suspect. Yes, he's a murderer. Right. Can't undo that now. And he's know? sitting there like thinking Denise is going to die because they're never going to believe me. Right. Detective Mustard tells him ultimately all he wanted was the truth. And to him, that meant that Denise was murdered. Mustard contacted Denise's parents to tell them that Denise was missing, and he told them to expect the worst. Wow. Yeah. They haven't even done anything. Right. He told them that Aaron was lying about everything. Mm. I, don't, I don't know how I feel. Right. I don't know what to believe. Give me to the good part. The FBI gets involved in this case because it is a possible kidnapping, and so they set Aaron up with a polygraph test. Aaron said that if he hadn't been so sleep deprived, he would have said no because he knows those tests are total nonsense. But he Uh also wanted to keep cooperating because he wanted to find Denise and he knew they didn't believe him. The FBI agent tells him that he failed the test miserably. Now, a polygraph test on its best day with the best trained officer administering it in the best conditions, it's still unreliable. We know this. But Aaron hadn't slept in who knows how long. He'd been interrogated all day. He had a sedative. He's not thinking straight. And they gave him the test anyway, which means they only wanted to give it to him to tell him that he failed. Yeah. The FBI agent grilled him so hard. He kept telling Aaron to tell him what happened, but he cannot start the story with three guys showing up at his house in the middle of the night. It got to the point. Maybe. It got to the point where Aaron started worrying that he'd had a schizophrenic breakdown. He was doubting his own sanity. Finally, Aaron tells this FBI agent that he needs a lawyer. So the FBI convinces his brother Ethan to come in and talk to him, hoping that Ethan can get him to confess. 
And as soon as Ethan comes into the room and he sits down next to Aaron, Aaron just grabs onto him and starts sobbing. And Ethan tells him Aww. not to worry and that they're going to get him an attorney. Ethan got a hold of an attorney named Dan Russo, who was described as scrappy. Oh, I love that word. He's the kind of guy you want representing you in this type of situation. He's from the Bronx. He speaks his mind. And he was going to help Aaron. Mm. He asked the cops if Aaron was under arrest. And he said, if he's not under arrest, it's good night, Gracie. (laughs) (laughs) And he took Aaron out of there. Yes, I... I love him. (laughs) But even Dan Russo didn't see a way out of this for Aaron. Hmm. But then, around 12.30 in the afternoon that next day after the kidnapping, the San Francisco Chronicle got a message from the kidnapper with a recording of Denise's voice. What? She talked about things that happened in the news that day, proving the recording had been made that day. Denise was definitely alive. This time when police called Aaron back to the station to question him, their questions are more focused on the kidnappers than on the struggles in his relationship. Aaron is trying to keep his hope at bay that maybe finally these agents actually believe him. Does he know about the phone call yet or no? The recording? Yes. Now, yes. When they call him, they tell him, him. they play the message for him. Yeah. The agent in charge of this interview, Jason Walton, He tells him that he thinks maybe the kidnappers have a military or a police background, which is what Aaron had also been thinking because of all the precision and the planning. They play the proof of life message for Aaron, who confirms it is Denise's voice, but he says that she sounds robotic, like she's just repeating lines that are being fed to her. The police then bring Aaron his phone, a phone that they've had possession of this entire time, and he starts looking through the messages. And his attorney's paralegal is looking over his shoulder, and she points out to him that the phone is on airplane mode. Ugh. Aaron cannot believe that the police would put his phone on airplane mode when the kidnappers might have been trying to communicate with him on it. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? I don't know. Because they didn't believe him. And so they probably just didn't want it. Like, everybody is texting him about this whole thing it's on the news and so everybody he knows is texting him and they're probably got sick of hearing the thing go off so they put it on airplane mode you put it on silent but i mean that's how you're gonna get the info if they thought he did it there might be a text about him doing it too that's true that's true (sighs) as soon as they turn it off airplane mode dozens and dozens of messages started pouring in He checks the email that the kidnappers were using to communicate with, and he sees an email from them the day before, Monday, at 7.46 p.m., letting him know that they would be calling him at 9 p.m. on his cell phone. (sighs) 30 minutes later, another email came in saying that they were waiting on his acknowledgement that he'd received the email. It was now over 24 hours later from the time those emails had been sent. The email had been marked as read, meaning the police saw it, read it, And hadn't done anything about it. And didn't even think to mark it unread again. Right. And then Mustard had lied to him when he told him that no one had tried reaching out because he had two emails from the kidnappers. All Aaron could think was, were these people trying to get Denise killed? He pointed his finger directly at one of the agents and he said, we're going to talk about this more later. But what do you need me to do now? What do we need to do to get Denise back? 
I love that. We're going to talk about this later. Like we're going to talk about this later. We have more pressing. We're going to talk about this later in the morning. We have more pressing issues to deal with right now. But but this is not dropped. We this is not a dropped. We're tabling Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) We're going to put it in the parking lot. Yeah. (laughs) The agent looked pretty annoyed, but he told him that they wanted him to write back to the kidnappers to reestablish communication. So Aaron sends a message back, dictated by the agent. And he just feels like he's in the hands of a bunch of dummies. Yeah, because also, like, what's his excuse? Like, where has he been? Oh, sorry, I didn't answer. The police had my phone. I mean, you can't say that. Right. The head dummy, Detective Mustard, has also been talking to Denise's family, and it becomes pretty clear that he's not really taking any of this seriously. They ask Denise's mom, Jane, if anything bad had ever happened to Denise before, and Jane tells them, That as a child, Denise had been molested on a camping trip. She had no Mm -hmm. idea what that would have to do with this now. But then Mustard says something to her that just absolutely stunned her. He said, I just want you to know that in our experience, women who have been sexually assaulted before often pretend that it's happening again to get attention and relive the excitement and thrill of that experience. Oh, my God. I wish people could see my face. Just jaw. I, I, he said this as I do not love this man. No, head, no, he's the absolute worst. And he said this as he's spitting up chewing tobacco. Ew. Uh, And Jane, Denise's mom, just stared at him, appalled and angry, didn't know what else to say, and just told him, you know, that's a really bad habit. She said it was the best she could come up with to let him know that she didn't appreciate him talking about her daughter like that. Get the hell out my house. For the record, Mustard has denied that he ever said that, but it seems- Well, yeah, I'm sure of it. Right. I find it difficult to believe that Denise's mother would have been able to come up with such an atrocious statement like that on her own. And for what? Right. Right. Exactly. Then Mustard tells them that this case was so bizarre, it sounded like the movie Gone Girl. And by that, I'm sure he actually means it sounded like the book Gone Girl, which obviously came out first and is one of my favorites. This and he case, obviously didn't read. <laughs> and he obviously didn't read it. This case would end up getting compared to Gone Girl a lot. And if you're unfamiliar or you just need a reminder, and this is major spoilers ahead, Gone Girl is about a woman who stages her own murder and then frames her husband for it. Then she shows up later alive saying she's been kidnapped but managed to escape. Mustard told Denise's parents to watch the movie so that they could understand what their daughter was doing. Okay, whoa. I need this man to get out of the story. I hate him. He's so bad. Such a good book, but I then went and watched the movie with someone who had not read the book. Mm -hmm. And I was almost jealous of them like watching the movie Mm -hmm. and not knowing what happened. Mm -hmm. They like shouted in the theater when she like showed up. They're like, what? You know? Gillian Flynn is my favorite author. I have read all of her books and her short stories. Is it Gillian? It's, I thought it was yes. Gillian. It's I know Gil- it's spelled with a G, but I didn't know. It is Gillian. Well, sometimes Gillian is spelled with a G. Yeah. But okay, okay. Gillian Flynn pronounces it Gillian. Yeah. Anyways. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. 
Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I bet Mustard was like, felt real proud of himself here. Like, I figured it out. You're not going to, these kids won't be able to pull one over on old Mustard. He's on the case. <laughs> oh, man. Then- I forgot about the uh, impressions. We're going to have to, we're going to have to fine tune those again. We, but it's good. That was a good one. Thanks. Then Detective Mustard was even more convinced that this whole thing had been an elaborate hoax when just 48 hours after she'd been taken, Denise Huskins was found alive. (gasps) Where? Wednesday, March 25th, Denise reappeared in Huntington Beach, where her parents live, which is 400 miles away from where she'd been taken. Now it wasn't just mustard screaming gone girl. Nancy Grace is up there like, is Huskins a real life gone girl? Oh, God. (laughs) She's back. Uh, She's back. But Denise was not Amy Dunn. She had been through an absolute ordeal. (sighs) After being put in the trunk of Aaron's car, the kidnappers had driven her for hours and hours. She was in and out of consciousness because of the sedative. At one point, she was transferred from Aaron's car into another car. And by the time they arrived at their final destination, Denise was completely disoriented and had no idea where they were. When she was taken out of the trunk, she figured it must be mid-morning by how bright it was through the goggles. She was still wearing those goggles with the tape over Mm -hmm. the lenses, so still couldn't see. She figured they were at a secluded location, maybe a house on a lot of land. He had the comforter from Aaron's bed, and he draped that over her. He walked her into the house, and when he took the comforter off, she was in a bathroom. And she was ordered to take a shower, but to leave the goggles on. After her shower, she was taken to a room, which was her home for the next two days. He repeated the story about how they were part of this underground company that's hired to get debts fulfilled. And he talked about how highly trained they all are and that some of them have military backgrounds. He told her that after they release their victims, they continue to watch them for years and that they're never to go to the police or tell anyone what happened. Ew. He then tells her that because she is Denise and not Jennifer, that puts them in a bind. They had blackmail on Jennifer to make sure that she wouldn't go to the police, but they don't have anything on Denise. So he tells her that one of them will have to have sex with her and record it for blackmail purposes. So if she attempts to speak about this kidnapping, they'll release the recording onto the internet. And he tells her that the recording has to look consensual, like they're a couple, because it's actually a punishment for him too, for messing up the intel so badly about the whole Denise Jennifer thing. He tells her that this is going to be so hard on him. 
afterwards, he took her to the shower to make sure all the evidence was washed away. And then he gave her a liquid dose of what he calls a benzo. And he insists it's all protocol. The rest of the days with the kidnappers go about the same. He has her make the proof of life recording. He keeps her sedated on the liquid benzo. He rapes her again. And all she can think about is getting back to Aaron when all of this is over. But she's certain that it's a fantasy. She's positive that she's going to be killed. Yeah. But she wasn't killed. The kidnapper told her that he couldn't release her in Vallejo anymore because he knew by then that Aaron had gone to the police. The story was all over the media. So he drove her 400 miles down to Huntington Beach where her parents lived. And he'd stopped the car at the intersection by her mom's house and dropped off her purse and her overnight bag on the street. <laughs> he'd taken them from the house. Yeah. And he'd taken her. He then instructed Denise to get out of the car and count to 10 while he drove away. And her eyes were covered with tape and the sunglasses. And she did as she was told. She counted to 10. And then she peeled the tape off her eyes and realized that she was within walking distance of her mother's house. And the relief. No. And the relief that she felt was extraordinary. All she wanted to do was hug her parents and feel safe. But her parents were in Vallejo. Yeah, I knew. I mean, I figured that. Yeah. So she tried getting a hold of them. She finally left a message for her dad, and she realized quickly that her mom wasn't home. So she started walking to her dad's house. And eventually, her dad was able to have the Huntington Beach police track her down to a neighbor's apartment where the neighbor had seen her and told her to come into his place. And immediately, the cops seemed rife with suspicion. <sighs> They asked her if she ever asked the kidnapper to just let her go. And Denise tells them that she asked him not to hurt her and not to kill her, but she didn't think he'd have let her go earlier if she had just asked. Yeah, you're trying not to be annoying, I would say. The questions are minimal. Didn't you just ask him to let you go earlier? No. Police were confused as to how she had her purse and her overnight bag with her. And she tells them that the kidnappers brought it with them, that they knew it was her stuff. And they asked if she was sexually assaulted or anything, and she told them no. And in the book, she said she felt so much shame lying about it, but she felt like there was this gun to her head and another pointed at her family. And she told the officer that the kidnappers had treated her very nicely. The cops told her that she'd have to talk to detectives, and Denise was terrified. She did not want to talk to detectives. She did not believe that they were capable of finding the kidnapper. He said he'd be watching her and he warned her against this very thing, talking with police. I know that like you have to do that while things are like right, fresh in your mind, but like, God, that's the last thing you want to do. Like I just well especially when you're right after terrified and it wasn't just her at risk. Like he knew where her family lived. Yeah, I took her to her parents' house. And so she said she wanted to talk to a lawyer first, and she just kept asking to see her parents. Denise's cousin, Nick, happened to be an attorney, and he showed up and kind of took over the interview from there, much to Denise's relief. Detective Mustard called from Vallejo, and he asked to speak to Denise, and Nick said- No, thank you, sir. You are not needed here. Well, and she doesn't know, you know, what's been going on this whole time. Nick said that he'd take the call, and when he came back, Nick told Denise that Mustard was offering her immunity. And Denise was really confused. Like, immunity from what? 
Nick went on to say that Mustard told him that they were offering the immunity to Aaron in about five minutes, and whoever took the agreement first would get it. Now, Mustard denies that he made this offer to them. <laughs> but uh, I'm that so eye roll confused. was extreme. Like, <laughs> immunity for what? Like, I- right for this whole scheme that they'd obviously this whole Gone Girl right. scheme that they'd obviously like, picked up. Mm-hmm. Who's going to confess first, him or her? Right. Well, yeah. And then whoever gets the immunity is the, yeah. yeah. Denise didn't understand. As much as we don't understand, she did (laughs) not understand even less. And she understood even less when she realized that in the two days she'd gone missing, her story was all over national news. She was so overwhelmed. She couldn't think straight. Worst of all, she didn't feel safe anywhere. She worried that the press would say something that would make the kidnappers attack again, and she just felt totally vulnerable. Yeah. This is terrible. How did I not hear about this? I know. Denise's uncle, Jeff, he was also an attorney, and he explained to Denise that the police did not believe her and Aaron, and that they were working on getting her a criminal defense attorney, but in the meantime, she could not speak to police anymore at all. Denise started to wonder if maybe one of the kidnappers was someone inside the department and if that was how they were protecting themselves. Jeff was Hmm. able to connect Denise to a defense attorney in the Bay Area named Doug Rappaport, who agreed to represent Denise, and he told her what everyone else had been saying. Do not speak to the police. That's so hard because then you're like, okay, I just look guilty. Right. Like when you're the You want to cooperate because you want to help and you want to look innocent when you're innocent, but- Don't speak to the police. The FBI had even offered their plane to get Denise back up to Vallejo, and he told her he'd advise her not to take that offer for the same reason he'd advise her not to swim into a great white shark's mouth. He He wanted her away from the predators. The Vallejo police really wanted to speak to Denise, and when she wouldn't speak with them, The police department held a press conference saying that Denise and Aaron were being uncooperative, that they'd refused to take their plane up there. The spokesperson for the department, Lieutenant Lieutenant Kenny Park, said, quote, we will no longer be referring to them as a victim or as a witness and told the press that the whole thing was an orchestrated event. He said they were- assumption they're like guessing because they didn't want to fly on their little plane right he said that they weren't able to substantiate any of aaron's statements that he gave to police he said they wasted a lot of resources for nothing and that it was very upsetting this conference happened the same day denise had been found they hadn't even spoken to her he said that aaron and denise owed the community an apology and that they would continue investigating, and if they found enough evidence, they would be pursuing criminal charges. And the press ran with it. There wouldn't be another article written about this that didn't have the word hoax in the title. (gasps) A reporter asked Park if there was anything that told them that this was definitely a hoax, and he said nothing about their story had ever been substantiated, And he said he'd go one step further and say that this was not a random act and that no one in the community had anything to fear. I get that this story is wild. Like, it's truly hard to believe. 
But it's pretty hard to substantiate a claim when you haven't done anything to investigate it. So you haven't even at looked all. into it at all. You put the phone on airplane mode. <laughs> and they wouldn't even do a rape kit. And there were things to substantiate it. There was the tape in his house that was like marking the cam there were the cameras set up. Yeah. They wouldn't even do a rape kit on Denise. Yeah. So that night, Denise took a commercial flight from LAX to San Francisco. She landed around 930 at night. Her cousin picked her up in San Francisco and just took her straight to her attorney, Rappaport's office. He questioned Denise about her story. He had her walk him through it again and again, and he believed her. He said that her emotion was so real, the facts were consistent, and the details she included were very persuasive. The detail that Rappaport said struck with him the most was that when the kidnapper had covered her with the comforter before dragging her inside the house, she could hear him cleaning up inside. He'd like left her in the garage for a minute. She could hear him cleaning up inside. And she thought, this guy's a serial killer and he's cleaning up after the last girl he killed. And now he's about to kill me too. Like that's what she's thinking. Which like, I I think you'd have to be in that moment to, I don't think you could just make that up to think like that right to to make up like oh i heard cleaning and i thought it was thought he's a serial killer cleaning up after the last girl he killed exactly right denise told rapaport that she hadn't told police two things because the kidnapper had expressly told her not to say these two things that the kidnapper had been in the marines and that she had been raped so rapaport wanted to have a forensic exam done on her once when he figured out that she'd been raped And he called the Vallejo PD to arrange a rape kit be performed. And they said that they wanted to talk to Denise first before they authorized the exam. Mm. And Rappaport told police that the evidence was going to be compromised if they waited any longer. And they told him, oh, well, tell her not to take a shower and to sleep in her clothes. And we'll talk to her in the morning. Rappaport couldn't believe how callous they were being. And Vallejo PD has said that this isn't what happened. Of course. So Denise agreed to speak with the police. They questioned her for two days. The first day was... Before doing the kit, they talked to her for two days? Yes, before doing the kit. The first day was by Vallejo PD. And on day two, the lead FBI agent took over. And they spoke to her like a suspect, not a victim. And the agent's only goal was to trip her up. He made her walk through the sexual assaults. He asked her what position was used. He asked her what his body felt like. Just really invasive questions. Oh, you're making me feel so uncomfortable. I know. Without the least bit of compassion for a rape victim. At the end, he asked her if there was anything she wanted to add and reminded her that it's illegal to lie to an FBI agent. The agent told Rappaport he was 99% sure she was lying and told him to go watch Gone Girl, that it would explain a lot. Oh, I know. God. I know. What, what year did that movie come out? Was it like around the same time? Yeah. That it was like uh-huh. so popular? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie came out in t- 2014, so the year before. Ah. Mm-hmm. So just, just it was right like in time. Big news for a long time. Mm-hmm. There was someone else out there that was pretty ticked off that all this blame was coming on to Denise and Aaron. The kidnapper. On Thursday, March 26th, he wrote to the San Francisco Chronicle and told them that this isn't a hoax. They're not lying. 
This letter was full of details of the crime. He was so offended that Vallejo PD would say that this was all a hoax. Like, he wanted credit. Like, no, (laughs) I planned this whole thing. He attached pictures of evidence of the house, of the flashlights that he used to make the red dots around the room that looked like a gun pointed at them, but it was really just like a laser pointer attached to a thing. I can't remember. A flashlight. I think it was a flashlight and a laser pointer. Huh. They had they discussed previous crimes they'd committed on Mare Island. They'd started out as car thieves, but they weren't making enough money, so they formed this kidnapping for ransom ring, and they, they started calling themselves Ocean's Eleven, gentlemen criminals. Oh. These were all coming into the Chronicle while Denise was being interviewed by the FBI. <gasps> and in the meantime, Denise and Aaron still haven't seen each other. So, I was wondering if he had like even talked to her, though. No. So after those two days of being grilled by police, they arranged a meeting, and both were really nervous to see the other one. Denise was worried that Aaron would believe all this Gone Girl stuff, that she'd like planned this and faked it all or, or something, and that she'd really orchestrated this whole thing to get back at him. Mm-hmm. And Aaron was nervous to see Denise because he just thought she might not want to see him anymore. But when they finally mm-hmm. were able to see each other again, they realized that they, they were the support system that they needed. Like, this is the only person yeah. that's going to understand what we went through and that we know what we went through yeah. actually happened. And after that, nothing really happened for about two months. And Aaron and Denise just kind of went on trying to live their lives as the prime suspects in their own kidnapping. And at the same time, terrified, I'm sure. Yes, they're terrified that their kidnappers were going to come back. Aaron was about to lose his job because of this bad reputation. Denise was getting flooded by terrible messages about what a horrible person she is. Right. She faked it. Right. And all the while, they're thinking they're going to get charged with a crime at any minute. Yeah. (sighs) And then in Dublin, California, it happened again. (gasps) Shut up. It's an hour south of Vallejo, and a couple was broken up by a bright light in their face and red dots circling the room. But this time, when he said to tie up the wife, the husband flew across the bed and tackled the guy, and the wife was able to run to the bathroom and call 911. The kidnapper hit the husband in the head with a mag light and ran out the door, but he left his cell phone behind. Ugh. Yeah. Who is it? Who is it? They traced the cell phone to a woman in Orangevale, California, who said the phone was her son's, Matthew Muller. But he'd lost his <gasps> oh, phone. Oh, I think I was saying Matthew Mustard. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I was like yelling. Not, like, not Mustard. Oh, my God. <gasps> that would be terrible. But no, not him. <laughs> so okay. Well, repeat it because I just <laughs> I went off the deep end. Matthew Muller. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That really would have been crazy. So police start looking into Matthew Muller, and they find that he served five years in the Marines and that he had an honorable discharge as a sergeant. He'd graduated summa cum laude from Pomona College, and then he went to Harvard Law School. He went into immigration law, and then he got married. But then he says that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and over the last few years, his life had fallen apart. He'd been disbarred. His wife had left him. His mother told police that Matthew was at their family cabin in Lake Tahoe. Mm. Misty Carasu was actually going to become a detective the next day, but she was offered the opportunity to go up to Tahoe to help with the search, and she jumped on it. 
Matthew Muller was at their cabin in Lake Tahoe. He came quietly. He allowed them to arrest him very easily. Once they had him in custody, they started a search of the house. And remember, this is all just because of the couple in Dublin. They haven't made the connection to Denise and Aaron yet. Misty, the detective, or the she became a detective the next day. She was getting really creeped out by the place. They found ski masks, stun guns, tons of laptops. He was driving a stolen Ford Mustang, and in the trunk was a blow-up doll. There were zip ties, duct tape, replica squirt guns. One of them had a laser pointer duct tape to it. So that's what it was. He had squirt guns with laser pointers duct tape to it. Squirt guns. Dozens of goggles covered with duct tape, and one of the goggles had a blonde hair in it. Neither of the Dublin couple were blonde, but at this point, all Misty knows is there is a victim out there that she doesn't know about. But it was all over the news. But they're an hour away. Yeah. And Okay, then I don't feel bad I didn't know about and this. And they thought it was a hoax. Like, they're an hour away and they thought yeah. it was a, a hoax, you know? All the so headlines were like, yeah. They're not thinking that this is the same. And I'm sure an hour away, they don't know the details about, like, the goggles and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So now Misty Karasu, she's going after this. They had enough evidence to close their case in Dublin, but that was not good enough for Misty. She knew there was something more here, and she pursued it. (gasps) Misty, my peep of the week. Yes. She found two other cases, one in Palo Alto, the other in Mountain View, both neighboring cities to Vallejo. They were unsolved from like 2009, and Matthew was listed as a person of interest in both cases. In both cases, a man broke in in the middle of the night, tied up female victims, and threatened to rape them. But they hadn't ever had enough evidence to charge him. Misty found the owner of the stolen Ford Mustang that was parked outside the cabin. He was Mm -hmm. a college kid living on Mare Island. And this guy tells her that there was this kidnapping that happened on Mare Island at the same time that my car got stolen. But the media was saying it was all a hoax. So Misty looks into this hoax kidnapping and realizes that their story fits with the evidence that they found. But Vallejo police won't talk to her. What? They will not call her back. What is their problem? Are they too busy? Yeah. They won't call her back. And when she finally does reach them, they tell her that she needs to go talk to the FBI. So she calls the FBI. And she tells them that she has this suspect in custody, and she was pretty sure that he was involved in the kidnapping that they had deemed to be a hoax. Well, what? They don't care, though, because she's not going to fly on their plane. Is that going to be a thing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the test. But the FBI was like, oh, that wasn't us saying it was a hoax. That was Vallejo police. You know, we don't think it's Mm. a hoax. We just haven't done anything about it since. Right. We just haven't done anything. But finally, Vallejo came out to look at all this evidence. And they see that it all corroborates Aaron and Denise's story of what happened to them. One of the laptops found at the cabin belonged to Aaron. Oh, my gosh. So Aaron and Denise get a call from their attorney saying that the police want to talk to them again. And this time their tune is a little different. Mm. This time they're like, hey, we caught your guy. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. They told them very few other details, but eventually Denise was able to learn about the cabin in Lake Tahoe and that it seemed to match the place where she'd been held for two days. 
July 13th, 2015, a press conference was held by Aaron and Denise's attorneys, Russo and Rappaport. And Mm -hmm. they're basically, (laughs) they're basically taking turns, just truly ripping Vallejo PD a new one. I figured. They said maybe if they'd asked the most simple basic questions and done the smallest bit of investigation instead of being so stuck on their initial theory, that maybe they could have gotten to Denise sooner. Maybe they could have stopped this guy from attacking this couple in Dublin. Matthew Muller was charged in federal court in Sacramento for the kidnapping of Denise Huskins, but he wasn't charged for the sexual assaults. Aaron and Denise are certain that there were multiple people at the house that night that Denise was kidnapped, but Matthew always insisted that he worked alone. The city attorneys of Vallejo wrote an apology letter to Aaron and Denise that was signed by the chief of police, and it was a really good letter. But a private apology was not enough to make up for the months of public ridicule caused by the Vallejo PD. I mean, they they almost lost their jobs because of I all mean, this. those like headlines, if you Google them, I mean, like, right, you know, it's out there. Like, yes. people will still think it's a hoax. Yep. You know, it's like the it reminds me of the I mean, very different, but the McDonald's hot coffee, like mm-hmm. the story that was put out there is a story that I know today until right. you told me the real one. Right. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Things can get people twisted. aren't going to research. So they sued. They filed a civil rights lawsuit claiming a whole bunch of violations, including defamation. The police department went to a press conference and accused them of faking this kidnapping when they did not have all of the information necessary to make a claim like that. Like, you're allowed a theory. You know, you you can have mm-hmm. a theory, but you can't announce your theories to the press as fact. What right? When you don't have anything backing it up. And people just believe you because you're in authority. Matt Mustard was named Officer of the Year in 2015. The year this case happened. Yeah. Aaron and Denise ended up settling with the city of Vallejo, Mustard, and Park for $2.5 million, but no one had to admit they'd done anything wrong. But now they have $2.5 million to help them. You that know, tells them that on. someone did something wrong and it ain't them. Right. <laughs> exactly. Let me tell you the two people that I'm not loving right now, and mm-hmm. they both are named Matthew. <laughs> Matt M's. Matt M's, you're yeah. really not pulling it this you week. You're definitely not peeps of the week at all. How were they not able to charge him with the sexual assaults? Why did they? I think because there was no evidence because they didn't mm-hmm. do a rape kit for three days. Which is and their she, fault. So It is. He'd also made her shower after every yeah. time. Oh, so yeah. likely no evidence. Right. Despite that, he pleaded guilty to the kidnapping and he was sentenced to 40 years in federal prison. Oh, he was later charged in state court for the forcible rape of Denise. And he was sentenced to 31 years in state prison for that. So he got 40 years in federal for the kidnapping. And once he serves that, he'll be transferred to state prison where he will serve his 31-year sentence. He is how old, though? He will not. I mean, that's 71 years. So it doesn't even really matter. He's in his 30s. You know, he he might outlive it for a year. Something tells me the life expectancy does not increase when you are incarcerated. I don't believe so. While she gave her victim impact statement, Denise read it directly to Matthew, staring him down the entire time like a badass. Aaron and Denise both went through like 
tons of therapy to help them heal from this ordeal. And on September 29th, 2018, Aaron and Denise got married. Oh, yes. I was hoping. Their attorneys were both at the wedding as well as Misty Karasu. Stop it. Denise's attorney, Rappaport, was the officiant at the wedding. <laughs> Oh my god, I love that. And it was just the I mean, I hate day. this story, but I know. They now have a daughter together who was born five years to the day of when Denise was released from the kidnapper. <sighs> oh my gosh. What a bittersweet, like weird. And that is the kidnapping of Denise Huskins. Oh my goodness. I know. Can you believe that? Yeah, you know why? It kind of sounds like the story I've heard before, Gone Girl. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe it's if you funny. watch the movie, it's you'll terrible. understand what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine being told that about like about your no. own daughter or yourself or like, God, do you know what's never happened in real life? Gone girl. Okay. That's never, they've, they, yeah. they, there's been several cases where they're like, oh, she pulled a gone girl or Not actually, no, there is one. Then <laughs> I'm going to cover okay. it. <laughs> Tell me about it later. <laughs> it does make me think though, if someone was like, you know that girl Mogab and people are like who and you're like watch this movie like I wonder what that movie would be for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah what would that movie be watch this movie to understand Mogab well it would have to be a movie about a very type A loyal like busy sounds like sounds like a bald eagle documentary (laughs) bald eagle documentary sounds like a Hallmark movie to me (sighs) I yeah, God, that is that is wild. That one really had me on the edge of my seat because I just I it know. it did sound so wild that at first I was like, okay, right, Ooh. like did this really happen? Yeah, and that's why I'm like, it's okay that they doubted their story. Like, mm-hmm. you can doubt a story. Like, this doesn't feel real, but do your due diligence. Go like look through the phone. <laughs> yeah, trace the email. Where are the emails well, they, coming from? They did look through the phone. And they ignored that email. Yeah. Right. So the main source I used that I didn't want to talk about at the beginning because it would give it all away was actually a book that Denise and Aaron wrote together with someone named Nicole Weissen C. Egan, who I'm guessing is probably Mm. like a journalist. And the book was called Victim F, From Crime Victims to Suspects to Survivors. And they called it Victim F because – I didn't write this down, so I'm kind of remembering what I read about it. But there were reports written up about this whole thing after they found out that it was true, after Matthew Mueller had been arrested and they realized that Denise and Aaron had been telling the truth this whole time. They wrote up these reports and they asked Denise and Aaron if they wanted to be named in these reports. And both of them said, yes, our names are already out there as like a hoax We want our names in this report that says that this all actually happened. And instead, they left them as victim F and victim M for victim female and victim male. Oh, I see. Yes. So that's what they named their book was victim F. So that people know. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. So people know. Good on them. Yes, exactly. And yeah, and they're, Uh. you know, they went through therapy. They did the work. They have daughter i think they might have another one i'm not 100 percent. i can't remember they shouldn't but have to do the work you know no yeah. they shouldn't but they did and they are living this wonderful beautiful life together now i hope so that's what it sounds like man major shouts to my peeps of the mm-hmm. week and mm-hmm. this one mm-hmm. 
remind me who was the uh misty misty Wh- where did she yeah where did she come in she was go- she was gonna become a detective the next day like they that was all arranged yeah. like she was gonna be sworn in or whatever and this was in i guess orange vale california which is no dublin california dublin california yeah. where the that couple where matthew yeah. muller had broken into their house and tried to kidnap tried to mm-hmm. do the same thing to them but did she get it because she was going to, like, that's what a detective would have done. So they just, like, let her start the next day. Yeah, yeah. So this is, like, her first case on the job. Yes, exactly. Her very first case on the job. They say, we you need to go up to Lake Tahoe and search this cabin. Wow. And she found that blonde hair in those goggles <sighs> and knew there was another victim out there. Misty, if you're listening, normally the peep of the week is not an actual, like, physical superlative i can give but if you're listening i will get you a trophy <laughs> specifically for you only yeah thank you for this you deserve it more Major way more than matt you. mustard being named officer of the year yeah oh, that is that's exactly how i feel about mustard speaking of shout outs guess what do we have shout outs we have so many shout outs oh oh that's exciting it is real exciting are you ready there's some funny ones in here, so don't read ahead. Okay. I want it like in the moment. Okay. You go first. Okay. It's shout out time. The first ones after summer break, just to orient everyone, these are leftovers for May. So we're going to do all the May ones. We'll oh, start yes. with June. May people. First, Jamie. Jamie? Question mark. Like Jamie Lee Curtis was actually named after her. I do love her. Ugh. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. Free Friday. <laughs> Free Friday. That's literally how I know her. I'm sure she's in a lot of other great. We certainly have never seen Halloween. <laughs> yeah. All right. Major shouts to Julia. Oh, but you. I know how to say Julia. It's the last name I need help with. They didn't give me pronunciation. <laughs> that's the one that made me laugh. Julia. Also, but. Chalio. Chalios. Chal. Chalios. Julia Chalios but, is a mom who loves our podcast and no, we love her mom loves no my mom. Julia is the mom of the person that submitted it that didn't put their name oh, out. Mm-hmm. My mom loves your podcast. Yes. Julia, Julia yeah. Chalios. Thanks for loving the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to you and your daughter. Yes. Sarah Bangs. Sarah like Sarah. Bangs like bangs. But <laughs> hopefully you didn't ever cut your own bangs sarah or maybe you did and it looks fabulous i'm really impressed that you got that name that was a tough one yeah you know i had bangs one time did you cut them yourself no i should have though because that's why i'm (laughs) growing them out because lord knows i'm not going to a hairstylist often enough to keep up with bangs (laughs) next oh my gosh will you this is the greatest name of all time like Will you be my bridesmaid? Will you? <gasps> Is that you asking me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really not get it? <laughs> yes. Are you crying? No, you're crying, not me. <laughs> you're crying. Oh my, oh my gosh! God. Really excited. I want to hug you, babe. I just asked Kristen; she didn't get it at first. 
Now she's crying. Did she say no? <laughs> Did you hear him? Did she say no? <laughs> You're right. I had it as the second one. He's like, she's going to notice. You need to put it as like the fourth one. I loved Yay! it. That was perfect. Yay. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, but sorry about this. You will probably have to wear heels after you just bitched about <laughs> the very beginning. There will be flip-flops in my bag. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You can be a bear for a bridesmaid. Okay. Yeah. I think we should stop there. No, we can do two more. We'll get through the mix. All right, all right. That's all right. exciting. That if you stick exciting. around this long. Who's turn? Oh, my. Jane Bilberry. Jane, how do you follow that up? I'm so sorry, Jane. But shouts to Jane Bilberry. Jane Bill following up. Thank you so much for following my bridesmaid <laughs> acceptance speech. <laughs> and last but not least, Ginny Daniels. Like Ginny Weasley, one of my favorite oh. characters. I didn't tell you this, but I tell me. So my dad has finally, 30 years after my obsession began, my dad has decided to start reading Harry Potter. And he's on <gasps> what? Four. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's on before. He's listening to the Jim Dale audiobooks. And so we were listening to He's not to, reading them though, but still. He's But he's but it's the books, not the Yeah, movie. yeah. And so we were listening to them when I was in New Mexico, and when I got back from New Mexico, I wanted to like keep listening, you know, to it. So yeah. I I kind of picked up on book 4 where we left off, and I'm already mm -hmm. on book 6. <gasps> I just finished book six and I have book seven sitting on my nightstand ready. It is so fun. How how is he liking it? Yeah, he likes it. I mean, you know, he's it's six, different now. So it's it, it it's different. Yeah, it's different. Then we were like 11. growing up. Yeah. We were growing up with them, you know. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. And we love all of you. And if you want to check out our Patreon, we've got fun bonus stuff over there that you can check out. And I don't... We're back to our regularly scheduled programming for the foreseeable future. So. Yeah. See you on Thursdays. Bye, Bye peeps, peeps and creeps. creeps. Oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs>